Normally, being a little extra can be a bit much. But when it comes to healthcare, it pays to be extra. And United Healthcare makes it easy with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they supplement your primary plan, helping you manage out-of-pocket costs without the usual requirements and restrictions like deductibles and enrollment periods. So when it comes to covering your medical bills, you can feel good about being a little extra. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Playing it in, Hanley. I see Saka wriggle away from him. Tete off the post. Off the post again. And in. And finally, Arsenal score this season. And it's the captain, Aubameyang. This is Arscast Extra. Hello and welcome to another Arscast Extra as always with James from Gunnerblog. James... Goodly morning. Oh, thank goodness for that. Thank goodness for that. Thank goodness. I know some people were expecting a jingle, and I know there's a massive sense of relief and everything else, but I do think we need to do a bit more to be worthy of a goodly morning jingle than beat Norwich 1-0 at the Emirates. I'm not taking anything away from it, but, you know, you've got you've to use the jingles sparingly. If you jingle everyone up all day, every day, jingles lose their, their magic, the magic of jingles. Yeah, that's true. And what if the opposition fans got hold of it? What if they knew they've done a jingle just after beating Norwich? We'd be the subject of ridicule, Andrew. Laughing stock. Um, I think you've made the right choice. I think the purity of it being a, a goodly morning is sufficient. In fact, I was in the press box on Saturday and mm. with about three minutes left in the game, maybe five minutes, a fan was heading for an early exit and they spotted me and they shouted, James, goodly morning tomorrow. And I was like, there's still five minutes to go. Why why, why are you saying this? Don't do it. Um, and yeah, and lo and behold, I think Cedric was uh, required after that point to save us with a, a quite useful block. Oh, so, yeah. Yeah, listen, uh, he was right, though, ultimately. I should have trusted his optimism. It was to be a goodly morning. Clearly a man of experience. You know, yeah, he, he knew what he was talking he about. He knew. He knew. He was I, I don't need to see these last three to five minutes of this game. I know what's going to happen here. Arsenal will just see it out tidily, hold Norwich at arm's length like a, mm. like a small boy, just trying, you know, that thing where they just swing in punches, but you just have them by the, you know, hold them by the head. They can't punch anything. Did your uncles yeah, yeah, or yeah. your dad ever do that to you when you were a kid? And it's like, oh. That's what we were like. That's what he. That's what he saw Arsenal as. Norwich were the small boy. Arsenal were the grown up, causing the small boy rage and angst. Maybe I've gone too far with this one. <laughs> <laughs> well, he knew. This guy knew. Whoever yeah, he bottom was, line, he knew. He knew. I should have trusted him. Mm. Our listeners know, Andrew. They know this stuff. They do. They do. So look, how are you feeling about it? Um, I, I have to say, I feel a tremendous sense of relief having <laughs> having finally won a game and scored a goal and got some points. And I know we're going to go into it in, in a bit more detail, but it, it does feel like, without wanting to be completely reductive, that was very, very, very 
badly needed for all kinds of reasons that we all know about. But still, when it came, when it happened, it was a a relief. Just a touch of a turn of the pressure valve to let some of that steam out. Definitely. Entirely necessary. I mean, not only are we off the bottom, Andrew, we're out of the relegation zone. I mean, this is a huge, momentous day. But I think, had you said to people, yeah, Arsenal are going to beat Norwich, but it's going to be 1-0. Mm. And there's going to be some nervy, you know, late moments. I think people would have said, that's not good enough. That's not acceptable. I think in reality, the sheer relief of having a win mm. has kind of... Uh, you know, has overshadowed anything else. And I think as well, when you go back and look at the game, I mean, I was very nervous at the game and particularly, you know, in that spell in the first half where Norwich came right back into it and then late on, I just was so worried about us losing the points. But having since revisited it and watched back the sheer number of chances we had, Mm. I actually think the margin of victory should have been substantially greater than what it was. Yeah, I was going to ask you if you feel like, if you feel different now in the sort of cold light of yeah. you know, a day and a half uh, between the, the the game and now, whether you feel different about it now than you did at the time. And I certainly do as well. And I felt, I even felt different about it, you know, Sunday morning when I was writing the blog. I like many people, I think, during the game, felt a great deal of frustration. I felt anxiety. I felt, you know, there were some really positive things from Arsenal in terms of the way that we started the game and then the way Norwich got back into the game. And I think we're... Not that we're conditioned to fear the worst, but we've seen the worst over the last few weeks. So it's easy to sort of slip back into that. And, you know, it wasn't the most convincing win of all time. It wasn't the most convincing performance of all time. But I have to say, like you, when I looked back on it, when I revisited and re uh, watched some of the bits and pieces from the second half in particular, um, I, I do feel like you that that it was a game we should have won more comfortably. We certainly had the chances to win it more comfortably. And I don't think the performance, while again, it wasn't stellar or anything like it, I don't think it was quite as bad as um, it was maybe made out to be in the immediate aftermath of the game, if you know what I mean. Because I think those those scary Norwich moments, they informed a lot of how we thought about it immediately afterwards. Whereas I think if you step back, it wasn't quite as, as terrifying as, as maybe some would have made it out. No, maybe myself. I, I, yeah, no, I think that's sort of where I am too. I think, I mean, the best way I can explain it is that when I saw that statistic at the end of the match of Arsenal having had 30 shots, yeah. my main reaction was one of surprise. Yeah. I was like, did we? Um, and, and granted, that's because, you know, a good number of those were blocked or whatever or w- weren't particularly threatening. But I think I was so engrossed in the kind of, are we going to get the win, that I, I slightly lost sight of um, quite how many chances we did fashion in that second half. And obviously that's influenced by the fact that we went ahead and Norwich had to come out and chase the game. But that's football. That's every football game. Mm-hmm. And had we scored earlier... Who knows? You know, it might have been even more shots than than we actually managed. So I think, yeah, I do feel a bit better about it in the cold, the warm light of day, shall we say. <laughs> um, 
even if I, uh, you know, I, I, I don't, it, it, it wasn't a perfect performance by any stretch, you know, and I think if you, if you are inclined to, um, read problems into it, I suspect that you can, but I think, my inclination is more to see some green shoots of recovery there. Yeah, I'm the same. I'm the same. And I think one of the things we have to take into consideration is the human element of all this. Like, yeah. this is a manager who was under huge pressure. The players, you know, they knew they had to produce a result as well. Um, there were five new signings in the team, uh, which yeah. we'll touch on as well. So, you know, there was there were all of these things ongoing. I mean, the team itself must have felt the pressure. They haven't scored a Premier League goal all season. I know, um, you know, three games, it's only three games, etc., etc. But, you know, you still expect a club like Arsenal to be off the mark, at least in terms of goal scoring, and that hasn't happened. So I think between those things, some of the players playing together for the first time, you know, it's White and Gabrielle playing together for the first time. It's Ben White and, and Tommy Asu playing together for the first time. Maitland-Niles, is it that maybe his first start? In midfield under Mikel Arteta, it might well be, again, playing alongside somebody that he's never played with in midfield before. You know, there Mm. are all these various aspects to it, which, you know, I'm not trying to make excuses for anything, but I think they they form part of, of the story of the game and it would be wrong to ignore those. No, definitely, and I think a very young team as well. Yeah, you know, uh, n- not necessarily an experienced team. I mean, there's a lot of football in some of those young legs already, mm. um, but you know that that psychological aspect of needing to produce the result may have weighed on them slightly heavy. I think you make a good point about how new and fresh the team looked, and actually, I think this is a team that when you break it down. It, we've said, you know, when are we going to see a Mikel Arteta team? I mean, I think this is a Mikel Arteta team. You talk about five signings that were made on his watch this summer. Uh, Gabriel, of course, he was heavily involved with last summer. Um, you know, you're looking further ahead. Saka and Smith-Rowe came off the bench are players who've come in uh, really and become regular first-teamers during his reign. Aubameyang, someone that he signed to a long-term contract. I mean, this really is his team now, you know, mm. and we needed to see that starting to produce results. It has done that, and it's it, on this occasion, of course, it's much uh, tougher test to come starting next week. Yeah, I mean, just going back to what you were saying about the age of the team, I think... Mm. If you take Pepe and Aubameyang out of it, the average age of the player, the other players is 23, something like that, you know? So it is a, it is a young team. And look, there were some big decisions from Mikel Arteta going into this game, like who was going to, to play in midfield, I think is one of them. Maybe there was some surprise to see Thomas Partey on the bench, but. I'm guessing that they're just being a little cautious with him. He was only back in training last week, so it made some sense to keep him on the bench, even if, you know, you feel like with him on the pitch from the start, the game might not, you know, might not have been um, as, what's the word, in the balance as it was until, mm. until you know, we really got going in that second half. But there's a couple, obviously, Tommy Asu starting at right back, um what did you make of him, uh, the decision to start him? What did you make of his performance? Because, you know, he ran himself into the ground for about an hour and then had to come off. And I think Arteta said he was he was cramping up. But mm. I thought it was so interesting to see almost immediately why in the current, in the setup that we used with Ben White and Gabriel, why Tommy Asu was signed. 
Yes, I think you could see that straight away. I think the fact that he started this game, it speaks to his quality, but I think it also tells you a little bit about the performances of the other players we've seen at right back this season, particularly Callum Chambers and Cedric Suarez, who have been unconvincing Mm. in different fashions, but, you know, pretty pretty clearly. I thought that Tomiyasu... um, had a good debut. I thought that he looks very athletic. I think he looks excellent in the air, which is something that we don't have loads of in the team. Mm. We, we knew that from the statistics, you know, that he was going to be good and he's six foot two, but we saw that straight away. Um, I thought he, you know, I think because he's been characterised as a kind of primarily a defensive player, I think we forgot that he is allowed to occasionally enter the opposition half and he sort of had a couple of attempts at goal that were encouraging. Yeah. He's, Clearly um, got good technique off both feet. So, yeah, I thought this was a a really good performance from him. Actually, someone uh, wrote into the show, uh, Jono, who's at Jump jump Punch Kick, said, uh, after watching Tomiyasu on Sunday in New Zealand time, I felt like I'd been watching a Japanese right-sided Nacho Monreal, and that made me happy. And uh, I know we spoke about Bakary Sanya as a kind of defensive mm. fullback first, but Monreal was, I guess, another really, someone who was just a very, very solid um, fullback who was also pretty good in the air for his height. And I think Tommy Asu looks like that type. I mean, he just seems a, a very obvious an immediate fit, mm. doesn't he? He does, and you can see why you know he's going to work alongside Ben White. And I thought another interesting aspect of of that dynamic was Ben White. And I watched him closely, and I was looking at him, you know, to see what way he was going to try and influence the game. Mm. Really early on, he picked up the ball a couple of times, and I mean this with no disrespect to Rob Holding. But I think if it had been Holding playing instead of White, Holding would have got the ball and would have immediately circulated it out to the right back, to Tomiyasu. Mm-hmm. And Ben White, very deliberately, did not do that. I think he only passed to him three times in the 60 minutes that they were on, the 62 minutes that they were on the pitch together, which is, you know, when you think about the horseshoe of doom, or the horseshoe of death or whatever you want to call it, you know, that that's sort of back to, you know, left to right, yeah, right yeah, to left. Yeah. You know, we're, we're a little too inclined to do that. So Ben White, really early on, his first thought was play a pass into midfield, which he did a couple of times to Lokonga, or carry the ball forward and, and then play a pass. And I think one of the passes that he actually made to Tommy Asu was when he carried the ball forward, he drove into the opposition half. Tommy Asu made a run. And he played this lovely kind of scoopy pass over the top. Do you remember that one? Yeah, yeah. And I think yeah. that is a really, I, you know, I I get that the sample size is really small. And, you know, we need to see these players over a longer period before we can start making any definitive judgments or, or opinions about who they are and what kind of what kind of player they are. But that stood out to me with regards to Ben White, that he wasn't just picking the ball up, immediately passing it to the to the right back, dropping off, picking it back up again, going back to Gabrielle. It goes out left and we go, we do the you know vroom, vroom thing. Mm-hmm. So I thought that was a really positive aspect of of Ben White's performance. I don't know if that was apparent to, to you in the ground or it was, yeah. yeah. I mean, the press box is on that side of the pitch, so I was watching that pair of Tomiyasu and White quite closely. Mm. And um, listen, I don't know yet 
how good a defender Ben White is. I don't know yet how good he's going to be in a four as opposed to a three. But I have to be honest, I was really impressed by his quality on the ball. I, I don't think I realised that his technical mm. level was, was quite as high as it appears to be. I mean, the, the chip pass that you mentioned was one of a couple of passes he played in that first half that mm. were... You know, the kind of pass we were seeing from David Luiz last season uh, and that made him a really integral part of our team. There was another moment in his own box where, which was again reminiscent of David Luiz, where he sort of did a little drag back and played a ball across his own six-yard box. And, it, you know, it was a slight heart-in-mouth moment. But mm. again, it was just a demonstration of substantial technical ability. Um, so I was really intrigued by what I saw from him I agree he always looked forward I think he you could sense maybe that he wanted to take responsibility that he knew part of the reason he was out there part of the reason he's been signed is to be the guy who starts things off and I think as time goes on and he develops understanding with the players ahead of him we'll see more and more of that but yeah I was um really impressed with his uh skill level ultimately yeah. I mean, you just don't see many even today, you don't see many English centre-halves who can do that. So it's a very intriguing um, sort of collection of talents that he has. Yeah, I mean, it's a new look. Well, mostly new look back four, if you think about it. And if we assume yep. going forward that this is going to be the back four, Tommy Asu, White, Gabriel and Kieran Tierney. I mean, that's what 22-year-old, 23-year-old, 23-year-old, 24-year-old, you know, mm -hmm. it's it's got... It's got the ingredients that you need to establish itself. And, and I think we've said this before, that one of the issues I think we've had um, in recent times is the inability to field what might be perceived as a first choice back four on a consistent basis. There are always question marks about, well, who's going to play right back? Maybe this game is better for this person. And, you know, um, who's going to play at centre half? Um I think that is going to be the, the back four that Mikel Arteta will try and feel more often than not. Yeah, me too. And I, I just hope that they do get a run of games together. You know, mm. that's the most valuable thing they could have. Um, it is young, on the young side for defence, but as we said before, not necessarily inexperienced. They've mm. all played plenty of senior football. Um, and when you look at, you know, Tierney, Gabrielle, Tommy Asu, Certainly those are all guys that you would back to kind of win their duels. And I think uh, White, you know, he brings something different in terms of his ability on the ball. Mm. So it's an intriguing... I've just used that word already. I suppose the reason I keep saying it's intriguing is because I see promise there, but I'm I'm cautious of endorsing it so early on, you know? Yeah, I know exactly what you mean. But we have to... I think we have to have things that we can uh, have some hope about. Yeah, I don't yeah. think that's a wrong thing or you know to look at some of the things that happened during the Norwich game you know apply all the usual caveats it was only Norwich we're expected to be you know all of that kind of stuff which is tiresome to have to do all the time hmm. but you, you it's necessary unfortunately because um, unless you do that people think you're talking in absolutes and you're not but what you're trying to do when you look at the team you know the first three games are terrible. So what do we do? We we want to see things improving. We want to see ways that we can be better and, and we can play a more attractive style of football. So I think it's perfectly reasonable to be able to say, okay, 1-0 win against Norwich. This is not like winning the World Cup, blah, blah, blah. But 
if we're going to go forward this season and if we are going to make improvements, let's look at the things that, that are positive and let's look at the things that worked. And I think we're looking at a new back four. We're looking at, at Lokonga being impressive again in midfield. We're looking at Odegaard being influential, if not quite possessing the kind of end product we might have liked. You know, we're looking at um, a team that took 30 shots. As you say, there weren't 30 clear-cut chances, but we've been shot shy. So that was an mm-hmm. improvement. So all of these, these are tiny, tiny, tiny green shoots that we hope we can grow from. I don't think there's any problem or anything wrong with trying to focus on some of those, particularly after the few weeks that we've had. You know, if, yeah. if you're going to be relentlessly negative with good reason, with very good reason about what came before, you have to acknowledge that, you know, when a, when a result goes your way and when some aspects of the performance are good, you have to talk about those. That's true. We certainly read a lot into the bad, so we shouldn't be shy to read something into the good at times. Yeah. Um, I'm just going to shut these shutters and see if that keeps yeah. that noise quieter. You know, yeah. You know what, though? We had a question from uh, someone on Twitter. I can't find it right now, but I did see Go it. On. And he was like, oh, this is from... Maybe I'll find it here. Hang on. I'll do it while you're, while you're looking. Hang on. Yeah. Let's see. Why can't I find this? Yeah, here it is. I got it. I got it. It comes from Mohit, who's at Mohitter7. And he says, question for James. Haven't been hearing much from your leaf-blowing neighbor recently. Everything okay? So thank you for that, Mohit. You brought him back to life. He was gone. And you have resuscitated him. slightly shifted our recording times in some ways to accommodate Leaf-Blowing Man. But Leaf-Blowing Man's obviously had a heavy weekend. Maybe, you know, he's been celebrating. He's a Crystal Palace fan. Maybe he's Um, an Arsenal fan. (laughs) Maybe he's an Arsenal fan. Uh, He's an Arsenal fan who's desperate. This is the only way he can get on the arse cast. Um, So, yeah, he's late to his shift. Okay, now I've shut the shutters. That will keep it slightly quiet. Slightly quiet. um, Okay. Yeah, so it, uh, it's on him. But listen, maybe he's what we've needed. Maybe he's the lucky charm uh, that we've been missing. Bring back Leaf Blowing Man and reversing Bin Laurie and everything will be all right again with the with the <laughs> Arsenal world. So look, let me ask you about the lineup in general then. You know, yeah. five of the new summer signings were in there. There was a big decision, of course, in, in goal with Aaron Ramsdale mm-hmm. replacing Bernd Leno. I mean, Arteta was under pressure. I think he kind of had to do something different anyway, simply because, you know, he needed something different from his players to change the dynamic, you know, to to maybe foster a different kind of environment. Were you surprised to see that many changes or, you know, was it, you know, like I just said, something he kind of had to do? I was a little bit surprised about some. You know, we we had the discussion last mm. week about Leno and Ramsdale, and I think we both thought it would probably be Leno. Um you know, Tomiyasu, I can see why he threw him straight in, but it was a, a bold call. I also think a manager under pressure might have been tempted to start Thomas Partey. The fact that he didn't showed a bit of restraint. The fact that he started Ainsley Maitland-Niles, presumably a little bit of an olive branch too, will certainly make him feel more involved, more part of the squad moving forward. Mm. Um, 
I think it was a healthy degree of change, though. That's the thing. It didn't feel like an introduction of chaos. It felt like a necessary broom kind of sweeping through the team and, and introducing a fresh feel. And I think that really helped engender the degree of support we saw from the stands. I mean, the fans were in fantastic voice at the weekend. And I think maybe the novelty of that lineup mm. played into that enthusiasm. Yeah, because it's easier to get behind new players. You want them to do well. You know, you see someone like Tommy Asu, who is, as you say, characterised as a um, you know, a more defensive player. He didn't do a great deal of attacking for Bologna. And on his debut, he's sort of scissoring a volley just over the bar. <laughs> yeah. You know, I mean, that's that's the kind of stuff that gets fans excited. And, and it's what you want to see from your team, you know. Um, I mean, the game itself, I think there was an enthusiasm and an energy with which we started that, that sort of fell away a little bit in the... In the second part of the first half, you know, I think Norwich came back into it quite well. Was that a particular area of concern to you or was that just the ebb and flow of a, of a football game? I think that sometimes we react to those spells as if um, they don't happen in every football match. You know, that inevitably there are periods where teams are on top and then, mm. you know, the other side gains a bit of a foothold. I mean, Norwich were nervous in that opening 20 minutes and I think they were a little bit fortuitous that Arsenal didn't take the lead then I think if they had done it it might have been a very different game and a very different scoreline it was all about you know can they get through that first 20 minutes and actually once they did they began to settle um, they began to actually keep the ball rather than giving it away they'd look very shaky playing it out from the back prior to that and Arsenal had sort of hounded them quite effectively I thought um, but yeah they did sort of settle into it I was a little bit worried that we'd lost our momentum lost our way uh, and they did have a decent chance I forget who it was was it McLean McLean like yeah that. header yeah yeah, which, I mean, sort of zored towards the top corner and would have dropped in. I mean, there's no way, I don't think anyone would get near that. So, yes, it was a little bit concerning. Um, were you worried? A little bit, just because, you know, you expect the game to flow, ebb and flow a bit. But, but I think what I was looking for maybe was a bit more of a reaction from Arsenal. I feel like once Norwich got a bit of a foothold, some of the nerves and some of the pressure informed the way that we played you know yeah. I think we were a bit worried so we sat off and we didn't quite play as uh, as front-footed as we did in those early stages um yeah I, my, my impression in that first half having praised some of the passes Ben White played I, I did think that it felt a little bit like Arsenal were in a slight hurry at times mm. and they looked for Aubameyang in behind quite a lot uh, or, or looked to play passes over the top or in behind the Norwich defence and I felt that they did that almost at the expense of getting the likes of Odegaard and Saka into the game in that kind of final third half space sort mm. of area um, and I you know I I thought Lukonga and Maitland-Niles did relatively well, but I wondered if in Thomas Partey or Granit Xhaka, yeah. we maybe just missed that pass between the lines. And of course, you know, Partey came on and produced a, a sensational pass that led to the Arsenal goal. Yeah. Um, but I just felt that that was maybe where we were struggling in the first half just yeah. to get those creative players on the ball. Yeah, that bit of control, I think, in, in midfield. You know, Maitland-Niles was willing and I think he had some good moments, but, a, you know, a few iffy moments as well. Um, I think you're right to point out that, that with Partey in there, um, not so much Shaka for me, but certainly Partey in there, I think we would have just had that little bit more assurance. And you're right to point out that the pass from Partey into Saka, which led to the goal, was, was fantastic. 
fantastic. I think we have to also just point out the role that Smith Rowe played yeah. in that because yeah. he very, very uh, smartly robbed the ball from, I think it was Max Ahrens who took a heavy touch and Smith Rowe, you know, as he does, he's sort of buzzing around in that area, wins the ball back, goes to Tierney, to Partey, that pass from Partey to Shaka or to Saka, who did really well, I think, you know, because there were a couple of times in the first half where there was a similar pass played into Saka and he got cleaned out a couple of times in mm. that first half, like absolutely cleaned out. Um, I think one of the guys maybe got booked and I think the other guy was lucky not to get booked. So, you know, if you're Saka and you're receiving that kind of pass again and you know that there's a big brood of a central defender about to come straight through you, you know, I think we have to give him some credit. And he he certainly grew into the game for me, Bakayo Saka. I thought he had a... An indifferent first half, but certainly much, much better in in the second half. And I think in general, the team was was better when Partey came on. I thought Lukonga was maybe a little bit unfortunate to to go off, but I could, you know, they had to take Tommy Asu off. So Maitland-Niles was the guy who had to go over there. So, you know, I I, think that was it, wasn't it? Yeah. Yeah. I don't think it was um, any sort of comment on on Lukonga's performance. But then, you know, we have the the goal. And I think Pepe's involvement in this game. Remember what you were saying about the 30 shots thing? <laughs> yes, I think I know what you're going to say, but go on. There's a, there's a tweet from Orbino um, who talks about Nicolas Pepe. And I think it was, uh, I can't find it now. Can I find it? Uh, anyway, Nicolas Pepe created six chances for his teammates today, the second Arsenal player to do it in a game this season after Tierney against Brentford, and only Trent Alexander-Arnold, um, seven versus Burnley, has managed more in a single Premier League match this season. And mm. I think... And that's what, probably with set pieces. Yeah, I don't know, yeah maybe. And I think I was, I was watching the game, and I thought he, was, he started really brightly. Pepe. I thought he was really good early on, then sort of faded a little bit. And there were a couple of moments where his first touch was was really poor. Um, You know, when I talk about the the period where Norwich were on top, I remember one moment where I think we switched the play really well from the left-hand side to the right-hand side over to Pepe. And this would have been a moment where we could have eased some of the pressure and maybe taken a little bit of control back and his first touch was awful and Norwich got the ball again and again we were on the back foot you know Mm -hmm. so my perception of his performance from watching it versus you know the eye test versus the stats test if you want to call it that was was a little bit different but look he was involved in the goal I think Tim Krul made a very very good save from his first effort didn't he um, mm, it was a fingertip yeah. save to push it onto the post and then mayhem scramble legs akimbo and it just sort of clattered off him and went across to Aubameyang um, tap in for Aubameyang but you know Pepe's involvement in that as well I think is is crucial of course um, for, for the goal yeah it took me a while to figure out uh, how and why that was onside but I eventually understood yes that's Pepe because gets it, it, to the second shot right and yeah and but then, was it then Obama becomes active sure but was it was it um was it the Norwich defender who got to the rebound off the post first was that oh, right it? well so my understanding was that that didn't I mean I'm sure um is it Dale Johnson we'll clear it up uh, later but I think um because Pepe gets to the re, whether or not it's the defender or Pepe, it's the second shot on goal. So 
Aubameyang's not actually active at that point. Right. It's not relevant, uh, apparently. Right. Which I find slightly generous, but that's fine with me. Yeah, I'm good um, with that. <laughs> yeah. Um, the, the most extraordinary thing, I think, about this game from Pepe is that he had 81 touches. The, the most touches of any... Uh, player on the pitch and this is a guy who we sometimes talk about as being peripheral and we're used to seeing that you know that 80 90 touch player being mm. one of the center halves or granite shaka but no player touched the ball more than nicola pepe in this game um and that's not counting you know t- turning back inside every other time it's just missed how many times he was actually involved in the play yeah and i think that's really promising actually you know i know there are times where he went down the outside and he was you know playing uh, in the more winger role but he also got infield a lot got inside a lot should have had a goal really that attempt that was brilliantly blocked by Brandon Williams you know in the build up to the Bamian goal it might well have been him who'd scored um, he as you say created six chances he had six shots I think Aubameyang Saka and Pepe all left the game with six shots apiece. And I think for your front three to be getting six mm. shots apiece in any game is a pretty healthy situation. Um, defensively, I think he was pretty good as well. I seem to rec- recall he regained possession uh, nine times, which along with Saka was a kind of team high figure. Mm. So, yeah, I, I think uh, in the in the moment, a bit like how I felt about the whole... Performance. I was a bit frustrated with Pepe. He was sort of driving me mad. But when you step back mm. and you look at the game as a whole and you look at how dangerous he is, I think uh, it was it was it was a more positive than negative afternoon. Yeah, I mean, I think he's a bit of an agent of chaos. He is. And you know? I don't think he's ever quite going to grow out of this. I mean, I think of him as quite a young player, but he's twenty six. Is he now? Mm. Something like that. You know, I think we have to probably accept that some of these inconsistencies are going to remain in his game. But mm. it's a it's a gamble that for a team that are um, not the most creative, not the most full of flair and attacking potential, is worth taking and a trade off that yeah. I think I'm prepared to accept because he, he can always make something happen. Mm. Yeah, I mean, he's an agent of chaos f- for both teams in a way, you know what I mean? That there are things that he does which, which, you know, maybe aren't quite as productive as you would like from an Arsenal perspective, but like you say, six chances, six shots, you know, just the weight of numbers eventually counts and it's sort of, you know, the, the goal, it didn't quite feel like this, but, you know, in the context of what happened afterwards and the amount of chances that we had, it was, if, if we'd scored that goal in the 89th minute, you would have said it's kind of like the, the weight of, of numbers yeah. just coming to, to pass. You know what I mean? So, um, yeah. And it's escaped attention a little bit as well, but I think really important for Aubameyang to get a Premier League goal you know, uh, uh, mm. with, if I could pick someone to score our only goal of the season so far, it probably would be him. Mm. I think he needs it. And as much as we were encouraged by what we saw against West Brom, that's a different competition, different class of opposition. Um, but, you know, he'll feel a lot better about himself, I think, for having a winning goal under his belt. And yeah. Just being able to say, I've scored four goals this season. Yeah, he's uh, a goal a game. We'll he's averaging a goal a game. Yeah. Over exactly. the course of the season. Um yeah, I, I think it's a, it was important for him. Um I mean the the post goal chances that we had, I, I think there's 
you know, Tim Krul made some good saves between his bouts of time-wasting. I think it's one of my favourite things in the world, is Tim Krul time-wasting from the start, and then Arsenal score, and all of a sudden yeah. he realises he can move, you know, faster than a sloth. Um, and the Norwich manager complained in his press conference about there not being enough stoppage time, which I really enjoyed. Oh, good. <laughs> I didn't see that. So, uh, yeah, look, he did make some good saves. I don't think any of them were particularly brilliant saves, but he made saves from chances. I think, you know, one or two that we, we, we could have done better with. I'm thinking the Smith Rowe chance in particular, where he Same, burst yeah. through and is, it's one of those where I think he should have just slid it along the ground and he, he hit it at a, a nice height for the goalkeeper. But you mentioned the Pepe one that was blocked at the back post. Mm-hmm. There was, um, Aubameyang shot with his left foot. Uh, I think that was really good play from Pepe as well in the build-up, if I remember. Um, there were others as well. You know, there was a there was there were moments where I Saka think a whipped one past the post. Didn't that's it? right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, so we could have scored. And I think at the other end, beyond that first chance that Norwich had, that header, you know, Aaron Ramsdale did not have a great deal to do in terms of saving shots or 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 what have you. You know. No. And I think in in no small part that was down to serious defensive commitment from Arsenal. You think about that yeah. Gabriel block; they prevented a lot of opportunities from from uh, coming to pass. You know, with good defending, there was the Cedric block that you mentioned when he came on. It was really committed defending, and I think just the way we defended in general, despite the fact that Norwich had you know possession, they had territory at times. They didn't really create anything substantial and that might be in part down to the quality or the lack of quality that they have but I think the Arsenal defenders and the team shape you know they deserve credit for that I mean I remember a moment late on when when I think it was Odegaard um, chased all the way back um, yes, you know, yes. to to cut out a counter attack. I think it was. We might have had a corner, something like that, and they broke up field. And it was Odegaard who got all the way back to do the defending. So, if you're looking for other encouraging aspects, not simply in the way that we, you know, had more shots than we usually do or had chances, I just think you're looking for a team when you're in a circumstance, when you're in a position like we were in going into this game. You're looking for the things that tell you this is a group of players that want to put that right. And I think the defensive commitment that we showed is something we can be pleased about. I think that's true, yeah. And I think some some very good individual pieces defending that. Gabriel uh, intervention was one. Uh, Cedric was another. Uh, but I think a general kind of sense of organisation, no real panic, Um you know, they, they were limited to one shot on target. So it was a, a relatively quiet day for Ramsdale. Mm. And I think the guys in front of him do deserve some credit for that. Yeah, so, I, you know, as much as I was nervous about the narrow advantage, we were never under very serious pressure. And actually, I think the question of, like, should we have extended our lead? You know, I think it would be interesting to see, especially I think this is true of sort of Smith Rowe and Saka, they're not quite there in terms of the maturity of their finishing mm. yet. And I think you saw that in that Smith Rowe chance, you know, maybe if he, if he just slid it, um, he probably scores, but it's almost a sense of sort of almost trying to take it too well. You know, I remember Aaron Ramsey went through that stage. Yeah, where yeah, yeah. He, he couldn't seem to do anything but hit the goalkeeper. Um, 
And I think that that will come in time for those players, but we need it to be soon-ish because, you know, goals are at a premium this team but just a quick thing on Odegaard as mm. well I, I like that moment where he chased right back and I thought even in the first half his pressing was was good I mean he's a very technically gifted player and I think inevitably sort of maybe gets described as this kind of ephemeral waif-like figure but he works really hard um, and so does Smith Rowe mm. so I think we're fortunate that we have two creative players who do actually have the work rate required of a, of a kind of modern midfield player. Yeah, I mean, he pressed really well, didn't he? I mean, he was a guy obviously leading the press in the early stages of the game. And uh, at, at times it felt like the rest of the team were sitting a little too deep from him, you know, particularly in that period yeah. when Norwich uh, had a bit more uh, possession and a bit more territory, you know, um, <laughs> There's your dog again. Have you not told her you're doing a podcast? Um, I'll explain to her when we yeah, take a break. Yeah. We're going to take a break now in a moment anyway, so we'll do that. Um, but, you know, he was still pressing and he was still trying to lead that press even when uh, the rest of them had kind of fallen back into this slightly... I don't want to use the word scared, you know what I mean? But slightly fearful defensive shape when Norwich had that period in the first half because we just did not want to concede. Um, yeah. You know, yeah, particularly before halftime, as we don't have a good record of going into games behind at halftime and coming back to do anything substantial. So, No, and, and listen, I mean, that would have been a very different game had mm. that header drifted into the far corner. Um you know, you do fear for what it might have done for this Arsenal team. But given their youth and given how fresh and new as a team they felt, their their patience was relatively commendable. And fortunately, it was enough to get the result in the end. All right. Well, look, anything else that you think is worth mentioning? Or I think there's a few, but I mean, they'll be covered in the questions, I'm sure. I think so. I think we've got quite a few questions about some of the specific elements as well. Oh, and, and some just a shout out to Patrick Vieira, of course, uh, who... Got a very impressive result with his Crystal Palace side against Tottenham Hotspur, no less. Yeah, there was a. I think there was a question about that actually. Uh, could have been on the Discord, maybe it was. Um, boom, boom, boom. Yeah, it was. It's from Sonny Cool who said it shouldn't matter. But did a Vieira managed team smashing Spurs put the icing on the cake this weekend? I realised it happened before we played, but technically, you bite into the icing first when you're eating a cake. So there you go. Mm, have I, I heard that saying? Yeah, I did. Um, I did. Uh, I did enjoy that. I watched. I watched a bit of it. I have to say, um, and I enjoyed it. And of course, you know, Spurs losing is always good. Uh, Spurs getting men sent off is always good. But Vieira getting a win against Spurs. I mean, he does it all the time. Sure. Exactly, it's it's an old habit for him. Yeah. No, I, he he was quite good talking about Spurs in his press conference in the build up to the game. I mean, clearly, it's an enmity that still resonates with him. And yeah, I was very, very, very pleased by that result, especially given the start that they'd had. Mm. Uh, and, I, and I didn't feel that was really representative of where they are as a team. And in the same way that I didn't really feel that our results were representative of where we are. And I think it's interesting now. You know, their next Premier League game is against Chelsea mm. uh, and then it's us. And by the time, a full time of our, against Arsenal Spurs, you know, the gap that was nine points could be very, very different. Fingers crossed, anyway. Fingers that would be a, a, a nice way to turn things around. Well, exactly. And I think you said this um, in your post-game video that the win against Norwich 
is a step in the right direction, a small step in the right direction. We've still got a lot to do. We've got a lot still to prove. We've got to, you know, continue to work as hard as we did in this game if we're going to get something against Burnley. And the Derby is, of course, you know, a fairly unique occasion. Um, But it's nice to be going in the right direction, even if it is incremental at this point. Yes, we can see a way forward. Um, it, it's mad, James, you know, because after the Man City game, I was thinking, like, where the fuck do we go from here? I think I, on the blog I said, this this has to be rock bottom, the Man City thing. Mm. But it becomes really difficult without evidence to the contrary that you can change things or do things. And, you know... The Norwich game has sort of given me a, a slightly different perspective because I look at things like the way Ben White played. I look at Tommy Asu coming in and being impressive. I look at Lakonga. I look at Gabrielle back in the team. Smith Rowe coming in. Partey coming back. Now all of a sudden I can I can see positive things. Mm. Results matter, of course, in football, and we all know that results change how you think about things. But I'm s- slightly surprised at, at just how much that Norwich game has has you know not wiped the slate clean, but given me that that perspective well don't worry if they lose to Burnley all the bad stuff will come flooding back into your your consciousness (laughs) that's just football thank you James thanks I was trying to keep things on an upbeat note before we went into the break (laughs) but you go attend to your dog and we will uh, we'll take a short break here come back with your questions and more in part two right after this A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Welcome back to the Arsecast Extra. This is part two of the show where we answer questions that you send to us on Twitter at GunnerBlog and at ArsBlog and also on the ArsBlog Discord chat server, which you get access to if you are an ArsBlog member on Patreon. And from there, James, I'm going to launch into the first question, if you don't mind. Please Uh, do. It comes from Aiden C., He says, morning both. In his last few press conferences, Arteta seems to be much more humble slash positive, really talking up the fans, the staff at the club, and how together everyone is. Do you think he's had a bit of an epiphany moment and realizes he needs everyone behind him? Or do you think maybe someone at the club sat him down and gave him a stern talking to, as it were? 
Well, he, he made some very interesting comments, didn't he, after the game, talking about how this 15 days has been the best 15 days mm. of his managerial career. Um, not not the easiest, but the best. <sighs> he did seem a little bit, uh, I'm not going to go say sort of uh, warm and fuzzy, but slightly less... Um, robotic in his responses. I mean, I think part of that is just winning. I think when you lose a game, having to face the media afterwards is particularly difficult. And when you're under pressure mm. and you're being asked questions about your future and what does this mean, it's sort of inevitable that you'll clam up slightly. So I think the relief would probably just was coursing through him a little bit. Mm. Did you notice any detectable differences? No, I think you're right. Winning makes a huge difference to how you comport yourself you know you're immediately yeah. defensive aren't you when you lose you're having to explain why and maybe you can't explain why um you know so i think the the, the fact that we won a game is something but i i thought those comments when i heard them or when i read them first i thought they were a bit mad to be honest right yeah 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 you no, know, me too the these are the best 15 days of my life and i think He's probably over-egging the pudding there. I think that during his football career, he has had periods which are far, far better than this. Mm. You know, as a player, maybe even as a manager, I'm sure he's had better periods than this. You know, you think about the the end of his first season in charge when he beat Man City in the semi-final, beat Chelsea in the final. I would say that might know, have been a better. That might days. have been better. For him and and the sort of warm fuzzy glow that is associated with you know winning a trophy i'd say that's been a lot better but i thought about it over the weekend and what i i mean it's just a theory i guess is that i guess he was you know he's not um insulated completely from the criticism um he, he's clearly feeling the pressure and we know why he's feeling the pressure because it hasn't been good enough. I think he's, you know, he's well aware it's not good enough for a club like Arsenal to be where we were going into this game. Mm -hmm. And I wonder as well if he worried, if he feared that maybe because of all that, because of the circumstances, people might have internally anyway lost faith in him and we know how quickly a dressing room can turn the old lose the dressing room trope is you know is overdone at times but you can see it you can see it on the pitch can't you when a manager doesn't have the players on board anymore and I just wonder if you know he had genuine fears about whether or not that was going to be the case with these players after a humiliating defeat to Manchester City what was the reaction going to be like how hard were they going to work on the training ground? How receptive were they to his instructions, to his coaching, to his ideas? And if he had fear that they might not be, and then he discovered that they were, then I can imagine that that's quite a relief, a good feeling mm. in many ways. So I, I, my guess is that's kind of what he means by that. Um, and I think you could see it in the performance we talked about the defensive commitment. We talked about players running back to do their jobs. They don't do that if they don't care or if they feel like they're going nowhere under a manager. They just don't play that way, you know? So mm. I think from that, yeah, I think that's my, my takeaway from that. I still think it's a bit mad, 
don't get me wrong. I think it's a bit crazy yeah. to <laughs> to say sure that's your best spin applied to it. Yeah, of for course, sure, you know, of course. But I think that's probably what it is. It's like he's going in, going, "Oh no," and then it's like, "Okay, I still have a chance here." You know, and to be fair, he did kind of allude to that. He said something about when you see the commitment of people around you, and I imagine it applies to those above him mm. as well as those below. I suspect, you know, maybe he was wondering if their faith would waver, um, mm. and clearly. I don't think it has, and he's had probably assurances about that. So, yeah, he may have come out of it feeling uh, sort of it, it's been a growing experience for him, if not a pleasant one. Um, but, yeah, I hope we see more of that side of him because that probably means we're winning games. Yeah. And that's what we need to keep doing. Yeah. Uh, we had a lot of questions about the goalkeeping yeah. situation. I mean, there were two here that were sort of quite... Um, Contrasting in a way, so quick thinks, uh, quick thinks underscore all thoughts on Twitter says, uh, Ramsdale v Leno. Is this one of the times that now Arteta has made the switch? He can't go back, barring injury. And then Rafi Schreiber said, I know Leno hasn't been perfect, and Ramsdale is our shiny new signing. But did you like Arteta dropping him? I thought he'd had a strong start to the season. Competition's important, but for me, you have to reward good performances from senior players with a place in the team. Mm. So, I mean, as using those as a starting point, what did you make of the decision? Let me just throw this one in um, from okay. the Discord because of a similar kind of question from Ryan or Shine, who says, has Leno's shot-stopping ability been exaggerated by a few flashy saves? I had a look at the post-shot XG on FB Ref, which was 0.8 for Brentford, underperformance, 1.3 for Chelsea, slight underperformance, and 4.9 for City, average. If he's basically uh, been statistically between average and slightly below average, um, isn't the question then, what has Leno done to deserve keeping his position rather than what he's done to deserve to lose it. Uh, I think his replacement with Ramsdale uh, should be a little less surprising than it appears to have been. And I don't think it's quite as cut and dried, you know, the opposition XG based on, you know, the, what how many goals we concede. It's not sure, all down sure. to the goalkeeper, you know. There's a, <laughs> there's a lot of terrible defending went on in there as well. But I just think as a starting point for a discussion, it's interesting. I was, I think like you, a little bit surprised. A little bit though, but not massively. Mm -hmm. Not massively surprised. Because I think if Arteta, if there was a moment for Arteta to do what he did, which was completely fresh in the team, with five new summer signings. If we, if, we, if we bought these players to play, then why the hell not play them, you know? Um, I do think it's... It, it does... How do I say this? I mean, I said all along, and I think it's pretty clear when you spend £24 million on a goalkeeper, you don't spend that on him to be the number two. No. I think it was always a purchase made with Ramsdale being the number one. How quickly it happened was always going to be the, the, the thing. And I don't think Leno has been so catastrophically bad that you it was cut and dried. You know, it wasn't a case that he was so terrible. You just have to make a change. No, he's not chucking them in his own net. He's not. You know? But I also think there has been a... I don't think Leno's performances have been quite as good as they were mm -hmm. for not just the opening three games of this season. I think over a longer period of time, he's been less assured 
than he previously was. We've already, we've talked before, haven't we, about the distribution, about the way he passes long a lot. And even Ramsdale went long quite a bit, you know, with his passing. But I think there was more precision in some of his long passing. And uh, maybe maybe I'm mistaking this, but did you write about that in... uh, one of the we pieces had, you did or we had previously i mean I, tim stillman did an interesting thread on twitter today which i think has some truth in it ramsdale did go long um probably a similar degree to to leno in some respects but he goes longer he goes probably 10 to 15 yards longer and i think he goes more accurately and tim was writing about how he thinks you know long passing from the goalkeeper is probably part of arteta's plan but that is a skill it's not just a case of whacking it up the pitch and hoping it uh, lands somewhere appropriate you do need to be able to hit the right zone and hit that at pace and I think Ramsdale's probably better than Leno at that Um, yeah I I think it's I thought the most interesting thing for me was what Arteta said afterwards about Ramsdale where you know he was very full of praise and he said yeah technically he was good but more than that it's about what he transmits and I felt like that was kind of an implicit criticism of Leno, perhaps, in that I think Leno is, to my mind, probably the superior shot stopper of the two. But I think that sometimes we we don't always think as the goalkeeper as being a coherent part of the defensive unit. You know, that the relationship between mm. goalkeeper and centre-halves from a kind of tactical, organisational perspective is huge. And I think in the ground, something that was really obvious was the degree to which Ramsdale talked and uh, encouraged and organised. And although this is like such, you know, soft factor, potentially meaningless stuff, the way in which when a defender made an interception or made a block, the way that he was like straight out and all over them and like constantly geeing up the people around him, Mm. God knows if that makes any difference. It does. But I think it does. Yeah, I think it might too. And, and, And it struck me watching it, like I don't, you don't really see that from Leno. Like Leno, is kind of a silent figure on the pitch. Yeah, and I don't know how much is between these goalkeepers on the technical front. I, I don't think loads, but I do think it's the kind of personality side. And I know that's something that Arsenal really were attracted to in Ramsdale. That is seeing him win out, and I just think although he's only twenty three, he he has a kind of uh, an older head than that and I think I think as well it's probably a factor that Arteta had two weeks on the training ground with Gabriel White and Ramsdale and maybe mm. thinks he's got something there he can build on but I do think that kind of organisational communication stand a part of it yeah. is a big big component you're absolutely right and people can dismiss that as soft factors if they want but the fact the fact is when you have a goalkeeper who is a who has personality behind you uh it, it makes a difference to players rather than somebody who you know look it's not like Leno just stands there and doesn't say anything of course he does of course he talks of course he communicates yeah. but there are ways of doing it i think you're you, you if you have a vision of Leno it's very much a goalkeeper who plays on his line um mm-hmm. 
you know, when the opposition have the ball. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I think that is a very interesting aspect. And I saw more than one person talk about this on Twitter afterwards, the the way that Ramsdale interacted with the players, the way that he interacted with the crowd. Yeah, presence is a thing presence. for a goalkeeper. Yeah. I think maybe more so than any other position. Mm. It's so psychological, I think, a mm. lot of what's happening there. And I think that's where he has the advantage right now. Uh, what do you think in terms of having made the change? Do you think, I mean, Arteta was obviously asked, was mm. that it? Is he a number one? And he slightly dodged the question. Do you think that is it? Like, would you think Ramsdale starts now at Burnley? Like, yeah, we is did. there a way back for Leno? How does it work out? We had a question, Alex Grimstall, who's at Grimstall, said, who do you start in goal versus Burnley? I think when you've made the change, you've got to stick with it. You know, he's come in, made his Premier League debut, kept a clean sheet, brought something to, you know, the the overall performance. We we haven't yet seen him tested. He hasn't done anything to not play against Burnley. And I think it is going to be an interesting dynamic. And we talked about this last week, like how fired up, how motivated is Bernd Leno gonna be to win his place back? Mm-hmm. This is this is a key part of this now. Um Ramsdale obviously has to keep performing to keep Leno out. But how hard is Leno going to push him if he sees his future somewhere else? You know, I think that's the, the the kind of balancing act. I think that's why we both thought maybe it was a little bit too soon. Not that it was too soon, that, that maybe Arteta might consider it too soon to make the change. He's made the change. Ramsdale stays in the team until such time as, you know, he loses his place because he's not playing well enough. Simple as that. Um, I think he stays in now. Do you? Yeah, I, I think so. I think he stays in for Burnley. And, I, and to be honest, I wonder if the Burnley game was in Arteta's mind when he made mm. the change, just in terms of having a goalkeeper who stays on their line versus one who might be prepared to come and get stuff. You know you know what you're going to face in them with set pieces, etc. So I think he will stay in. You know, I, I don't know if that was in Arteta's mind when he made the change. Maybe he thought this is just a good game to give mm. Ramsdale... But I think having come through it with a clean sheet, the whole defensive unit needs to stay together for the Burnley game. And I think they will. What's going to be fascinating is, as you say, Leno's response. You know, we all know he's not in contract talks. He's got, you know, two years remaining on his deal. I think there's a general assumption that his long-term future is not with the club. But Mm. he's got an international place to think about. Um, You know, he's part of that Germany squad. The World Cup is not that far away. The winter of next year. Yeah. You know, the rest of the season spent sat on the bench would not be good for him. And I also am intrigued to see, you know, if he doesn't respond, what does that do to his value? I mean, that's an interesting question. Well, I mean, what does it do to his options as well? It's not simply his value. The idea that, that that should be the main consideration. It's like... You know, if 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 other clubs see Bernd Leno kind of give up on this situation, that will have an impact on how you're perceived and how True. you're viewed as a player. So, yeah, you're right. I think there is motivation there for him. So, yeah. It's, it's interesting because when Leno came in, we obviously still had Petr Cech and um, he didn't start the season as number one. Leno Cech did. And it was only an injury that opened the door for Leno to come in. I mean, it would have happened much like Ramsdale sooner or later, but it was injury that sort of made it happen. Now he finds himself once again, you know, out of the side and 
yeah, has he got the same fight to win his place back? I don't doubt he can do it. I do think the ability is there, but I just worry. I, I think I slightly fear that if he knows his long-term future is elsewhere, will this just kind of confirm mm. his suspicions about yeah, that? Yeah, maybe, maybe. Look, it was a good, a good debut for Ramsdale. Um, you know, particularly... You know, the, 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 the growing, um, like he seems a very amiable young man and he seems to yeah. connect with people and he seems to have connected with fans. You know, it remains to be seen whether he's going to be the top class goalkeeper that we need and want him to be. But, you know, when you consider some of the the shitstorm that was going around during the summer when we were talking about signing him and, and everything else, you know, he's had a fairly big hill to 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 climb you know to get to this point and after a few weeks he seems to have connected with fans he's obviously got to back that up with performances but it goes back to what we were talking about in the first half of the of the show that you know it's something new it's something fresh it's something to get behind it's it's you know it's different it's not the same because the same has been so disappointing to us over over the the last little while, you know. And there was a lovely moment as well where he did a little sidestep inside a defend, <laughs> uh, an attacker at one point. It was a bit like, oh, I heart liked it mouth, though. Stuff. Yeah, heart yeah. and mouth. But you know, it's heart and mouth. And then you go, yes, I like that. Yeah, you know. And I think you know we're still finding out about how good a goalkeeper he is. And I think there's going to be bigger tests on that front. But mm. on the personality front, you know, he has got a very winning personality and. Um, you know, they're almost echoes in that personality type of kind of Wojciech Szczesny, who was someone else who really connected with supporters, you know. Mm. Uh, he obviously had the talent to match and he's had the career to back it up. We'll have to wait and see on Ramsdale. But I am pleased for him. And I think credit to the fans because there was a lot of opposition and a lot of uncertainty. But I think for the most part, they've given him mm. a clean slate since he's come in and he's really taken that opportunity. So, yeah, it's going to be an interesting battle between those goalkeepers over the, the remainder of the season. Okay, here's one from Brock Strongo, who's on the Discord. He said, Loved Odegaard, but there were a few Hleb-like waiting for the perfect moment to shoot moments. Uh, mm. How many goals do you think we should expect from him this season? Uh, you know, you talked about Smith-Rowe and Saka, I think, when it came to maturity in their finishing. And a couple of times, it just struck me uh, as good as he was, and I really enjoyed Odegaard um, in this game, that just being a little more decisive in the final third would be would be great because it would make it make a big difference to us I think yeah I think that's right I think um I I omitted Odegaard there and I shouldn't have done I think part of the reason I did is that I don't think he'll ever score as many goals as those two players could potentially get I think Saka and Smith Rowe are more natural finishers and I think that will come out we've seen it youth level from them and I think it's a matter of time until we do mm. at first team level Odegaard I think is just sort of instinctively more of a creator than a finisher but he has the ability and we need goals everywhere particularly from that position so I hope he can do it um, what's a realistic expectation I don't see him getting to a double figures I really don't no. I think I think you're looking for well, I think, but if you if he if he gets more than five, I'll sort of find that acceptable. 
like that that would be okay yeah. with me. Yeah, I think that would be fine as well. Five Premier League goals from a midfielder is, you know, way beyond anything we've got since what Aaron Ramsey maybe. Yeah. Um yeah, so I think you know he should be looking at you know five to seven goals in the Premier mm. League this season. I hope he can do it. Yeah, and listen, it may be sometimes players unlock something mm. and uh, they find a goal scoring potential they almost didn't know they had. Um you know, Cesc Fabregas probably never thought of himself as a, a goal scorer, but he managed to become one really at Arsenal and then later at Barcelona. So we shall see. But mm. I, I think, I do think in time, Smith Rowe and Saka are both players who can, you know, score north of ten goals. It's it just feels like a question of when and when mm. they get that composure in the in the penalty box. Sure. Um, Okay, so here is a question. Oh, this is a bit of a different tack, but I thought it was interesting. The real Twatterman, who's at Twatterman, says, given his excellent form and goal versus Phil Jones and Dean Henderson the other day, do we give Charlie Patino his debut from the bench, perhaps, against AFC Wimbledon in the Cup next week? Have you seen this goal? Everyone's talking. Oh, yes, I saw it last night. Um... I watched, there was a video as well doing the rounds from, was it that game or a different game? I can't remember. Uh, well, oh, you A know, sort of compilation video. I yeah, think it was the previous no, game. It was from the... played against Ipswich in the... Um, no, Swindon. Competition? Swindon. In the... Oh, right, okay. Papa John's or Papa whatever Papa John's, exactly. The Papa John's um, pizza fucking trophy, whatever it's called. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I looked at that video and I... I I was very impressed with the way that he moved because it reminded me of um, Cesc Fabregas. And I was mm. impressed with the way that he passed the ball. Uh, he sort of, I was looking at it going, like if Shaka was that mobile, he'd be fucking great. Um, but there you go. Um, should we Shades get of Jack Wilshire for me. Yeah, I mean. a little bit of Wilshire as well. Um, yeah. Yeah, for sure. I mean, maybe look, it's the left foot, but yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He looks a very promising player. I think. What I would say is he also looks like a very young man who hasn't is. quite mm. filled out physically to the point where he would be involved in, in the first team this season, unless there's mm. some sort of injury crisis. But why not have him on the bench against AFC Wimbledon? Why not bring him off if we're in a position where the game is is relatively comfortable why not you know there's nobody else you know Miguel Aziz is the other one the other central midfield player who could have made a bit of a breakthrough this season but obviously they've decided that a season on loan at Portsmouth mm-hmm. is the best thing for him and quite interestingly um Portsmouth are managed by the same manager who was manager of Huddersfield when Emil Smith Rowe had a really good yeah. yeah had a really good loan spell there so there's a, a bit of a connection there and hopefully uh, Miguel Aziz will come back uh, and flourish the way that Smith Rowe has um, but there's nobody else really at, at central midfield who is knocking on the door I don't think Patino is necessarily knocking on the door yet but he's not far away from from sort of opening the gate and coming up the garden path. So why not? You know, it's not like we're replete with options. Maitland-Niles could play in there. Um, Jack, I think, is going to be suspended for that game. Do you risk Thomas Partey in that game ahead of a North London derby? 
I'm not sure mm-hmm. you do. So mm-hmm. he might have to get creative. And then he's injured, of course, for a few weeks. So he may have to uh, use him. And why not? Yeah, I think he'll be in the squad. I mean, he's been training with the first team a fair bit during the international break. Mm. Clearly, he's a player there's a lot of excitement about. Um, and I think it would be a good opportunity, even if he doesn't get on the pitch, frankly, to kind of involve him in the first team setup and give him the value of that experience. And if we're in a comfortable position, comfortable position why not um so yeah i mean listen it's it's always exciting isn't it when you see these bits and pieces of mm. academy talent filtering through and um he does appear to be one who you know is destined for for great things so fingers crossed uh, he continues on that pathway and maybe we will see him next week yeah that would be good um here's one from alfie powell who says it's a big if and probably not worth even thinking about but if Tommy Asu scored that flying volley. Would that have been the best debut goal ever? Very possibly. By the way, if you can hear snoring, the the dog is now in here with me and she's fallen fast asleep at my feet. So okay. uh, apologies. That's no that. problem. But um, it would have been quite sensational, wouldn't it? I mean, the technique <laughs> to keep that under some sort of control. Mm. The ball was about eight foot in the air when he actually made contact with it mm. on a flying leap. Uh, would that have been the best debut goal ever? I'm trying to think of debut goals. Um, yeah. Did Thomas Vermaelen score a belter Possibly on his, on his debut? debut? whipped one in, yeah. Um, Gilberto yeah, Silva? In the Community Shield, yeah. Mm. Uh, I think it would have been, in terms of how spectacular it was, I can't think of anything quite like it. So, uh, unless, of course, we count uh, Jose Antonio Reyes' um, home debut against Chelsea. I yeah. think he had played in the League Cup prior to that. Middlesbrough so, yeah. and scored an own goal in mm. that game. He did. Um, yeah, it would have been a, a, a hell of a goal. A hell of a way to cap his performance too. Actually, on on the Discord, Duran said, um, "Good morning, gents." As an Asian fan, watching Tomiyasu make such a positive debut for Arsenal in the Premier League made me feel an immense sense of pride. Our previous Asian players, unfortunately, have never managed to make it onto the biggest stage. Cough, Park Chu Young. How important do you think representation is in football? And was there ever a moment in your lives where you felt something similar? I mean, there've been many great Irish players at Arsenal. Don't well, you? yeah. I mean, I think that's why I became an Arsenal fan. Like, I don't ever remember making the choice, but, you know, when I grew up in England in the 70s, two Irish parents and, and you know, always with the knowledge that despite the fact I was born in England, you know, we're Irish. So at the time with Liam Brady, Frank Stapleton, David O'Leary, John Devine in the team and also... You know, players from Northern Ireland, Pat Jennings, Sammy Nelson, Pat Rice. Uh, you know, I didn't understand really, you know, the the, the difference between Northern Ireland mm-hmm. and Ireland. It was just Ireland to me back then. Um, so, you know, to have all those Irish players at Arsenal, I'm absolutely sure is the reason why I'm an Arsenal fan. So I know that, you know, a lot of fans these days, there are, you know, for example, people who are fans of players slash brands and who will follow them, you know, all around, uh, regardless of where they're playing. That's some incredible snoring. I was thinking of somebody drilling next door, but it's the snoring. She's amazing. She is amazing. Um, but yeah, I do think it's important. And, and like how you connect to a football club is 
you know, there are all kinds of ways that people connect. So a player from your country goes to play for them and you become interested in them. And, you know, how many how many um, stories have we heard down the years of, you know, let's say uh, football fans who are watching the 98 World Cup who saw Dennis Bergkamp play for Holland and yeah. were captivated by what Dennis Bergkamp did at the World Cup and then, you know, went a bit further and found out who he played for and then, you know that was what what drew them to Arsenal. So yeah, it's it's an individual thing. It's such a personal thing though as well. Isn't it? I mean there's no sort of right or wrong way to connect with a football club, you know. But I I, no. I do understand completely why you know, it is a thing for people and even, you know, seeing young English players come through at Arsenal is great. You know, it's a great thing for for English fans and for, you know, in inverted commas local fans so definitely that 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 to see arsenal players you know turn out for england um and to come through the academy to come from the local area etc etc it's great so i think you know i don't know i I think i am pleased particularly for uh it must be a thrill for our japanese fans as well because they've Mm. you know we've had some near misses i mean it's 20 years ago i think this summer that uh, Junichi Inamoto uh, arrived at arsenal and it's interesting like it's only two decades but even then there was a lot of talk of you know well uh, is this actually a, a signing a serious signing is this all about marketing and oh. Junichi Inamoto went on to have a very good uh, career you know and and prove that he was quite the player it didn't happen for him at arsenal but happened for him certainly on the international stage and fulham and elsewhere in europe um, but it's sort of pleasing that, uh, you know, Tommy Yasu arrives without that baggage and without those question marks. Mm. He's here as a, in his own right as a, a very credible player who's gone straight into the first team. And yeah, I think there've been some near, near misses. I mean, obviously in Omoto, um, there were such high hopes. Rio Miyachi, who's had a terrible time with injury. Uh, Takuma Sano was another park. You know, they just didn't quite work out for different reasons. So mm. I would love it if an East Asian player could uh, make the first team at Arsenal and I think it'd be great for our, yeah. our fans in that part of the world. Well, he had a very, very impressive debut and uh, hopefully, yeah, he- you know, from here, the only way is up. Um, here's a couple. Let me see if I can find them here. Uh, okay, first one, Robbie, who's at Lobriri on Twitter, says, uh, Lads, what did you think of the change of tactics to go very direct? It was like the complete opposite of the horseshoe we, we've seen so much of of late. To me, it lacked a tad composure slash control, but much more enjoyable than what has been on offer of late. And on the Discord, DJ Rad B says, In the first 20 minutes or so, we saw a range of great movement and creative passes. Do we put this down to the handbrake being off, poor opposition and less pressure on the ball carrier, or psychologically the courage to attack an inferior opponent? Will we see more of this and more cutting edge in the final third when co- uh, confidence and partnerships uh, build? And how long do you think it will take for us to build automatisms? Looking at the team sheet, there were barely any established partnerships, but there were some green shoots to build upon. Yeah, I think part of it was that some of the established partnerships came out of the team. I mean, if you think about the way Arsenal have played for most of this season and indeed much of last, you know, that Granite Shaka pass out to Kieran Tierney, for example, um, has been such a fundamental building block of our play. And if you look at uh, who came in for him, I mean, I guess it's kind of Ainsley Maitland-Niles, right? Mm. And he passed Kieran Tierney only seven times in the game, which really isn't anything to write home about particularly. So I think that a change in personnel 
slightly forced us or enabled us, depending on how you look at it, to break some of our patterns. And I think that was good. I do think that we were very direct, especially um, in the first half. And I think sometimes maybe a little bit too direct. As I said, I felt we could have played through Norwich a little bit more rather than just looking to play in behind them. Mm. But I agree that although we exerted less control, uh, that sort of chaos factor did make it slightly more entertaining. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's the, it's the speed at which you get the ball up the pitch. Like, ideally, you want to get the ball and the team up the pitch with, you know, with the kind of passing moves that you might associate with flowing, attacking football, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And I do think that is something we still need to work on. You know, how quickly we simply pass the ball, how quickly we move, how quickly we get into positions when, you know, an opposition move breaks down or or what have you. The ability to counter at pace, I think, is something we still need to work at. But in the absence of, of going through midfield, going longer a bit more often just provided a bit more variety to the way that we play. You know, if you were... If you were setting up your team to, to play against Arsenal, you know... I think we said this before that we're not necessarily the most difficult team to play against because quite a lot of what we do appears to be very prescribed and predictable. Mm-hmm. So think of that one where was it a Norwich attack broke down, the ball broke to Kieran Tierney, he fucking lumped it over the top. Brilliant movement from Aubameyang actually because he really hangs on the shoulder of the defender and I think he I think he took a first time shot when maybe he could have gone on with it a little bit more but but that sort of unpredictability that variety to the way that we're playing I I enjoyed it it's certainly better than seeing Tierney cut back inside play a square pass and once again we begin the horseshoe of doom you know so yeah I'm, I'm not sure how to Tierney, sorry Scott, I was going to say I thought Tierney was uh, probably less influential and less involved maybe in this mm. game than he has been in others but I think that's probably healthy you know it suggests there was a bit more variety to our play and we had other outlets Mm. um, other than simply him and actually you know we think of ourselves as a very lopsided team and a a very left-sided emphasis team but no player had more touches than Nicola Pepe on the right Um, so yeah I think that was interesting and encouraging and I think the the the, the difference in the distribution that we saw out of the back and out of central midfield mm. made us a bit more diverse going yeah, forward. I agree. Um, what about this question okay. from the Discord? It is semi-aquatic and they ask, Good morning. After the two substitutes took to the field, the game completely changed. I guess he means the first two substitutes. Mm. Thrown party. I hear lots of people calling for the 4-3-3 based on what we saw. I imagine, though, that this is more of a system we shift to when we need to score rather than a system we start with. To me, a midfield of party Smith-Rowe, and Odegaard just doesn't have the balance to be sustainable against top six teams. Do you think this will be the midfield going forward or will it continue as a cameo after our traditional 4-3-2-1 is unsuccessful? Well, I think the fact that we can now play that way is is an interesting tactical um, development. I don't know that we necessarily had the players to do that, but also, you know, our midfield consists of, midfield roster, if you like, consists of Partey, Granite Xhaka, uh, Sambi Lokonga, Mohamed mm. El Neni, and Maitland Niles thrown in there as well. Um, 
So I'm not sure that you can simply just play one of those and then play Smith Rowe and Odegaard all season long. You know, I don't. No. I don't sense that the the personnel is there to move that way on a on a permanent basis. But it worked against Norwich. Yeah. It produced yeah. a lot of chances. It got us the only goal of the game, and I think there are probably teams you can use that system with more easily than than others. Like, would you go into a North London derby with that? I'm not 100% sure I would. I don't wouldn't feel quite as safe um, as I might do with, you know, an extra man in that midfield alongside Thomas Partey. But I like the fact that we can do it, and I also like the fact that he did it. I like mm-hmm. the fact that he, he did it, and... If there's criticism of Arteta for being a bit too cautious, a bit too handbrakey, or whatever you want to say, he kind of had to let them go a bit against Norwich because he knew he needed the win. The changes, I think, made us better. Mm. And look, some of that is simply because you're bringing on Thomas Partey, who is a you know the best midfield player we have at the club, and he gives us a different dimension. and And you could see with the way that he, the way that he passed the ball was just different from either Maitland Niles or Lakonga, who I, I again think had a good game. Um, so no, I don't necessarily see it as a, a permanent change, but I do like that it is a a string that perhaps we have added to our bow. Yeah, absolutely. I think party makes a world of difference. I think there was a lot that was good about Lukonga's game, but it's worth saying his, his most frequent pass was Gabriel. So, you know, party is just a guy who he has the ability and the ambition to to look forward all the time. And I think Lukonga has that trait and in time, I think he'll get there. But I think he's a step up in quality. The 4-3-3 thing is really interesting. Like, I, I do think that in Odegaard and Smith-Rowe, you've got two players mm. who, while they prefer to be in advanced areas, can operate in that part of the pitch. And I don't think we're yet in a place where we're ready to make the step to that system permanently. And I think, as the question implies, there are games where that would be very high risk and probably too much risk. But having the ability to switch it up and you know have a system where if we're chasing a game or chasing a goal we can get Saka, Odegaard, Pepe, Smith-Rowe and Aubameyang mm. you know or, or another centre forward Lacazette on the pitch at the same time mm. is a very useful weapon and it's something you know Arsene Wenger's teams were able to do brilliantly you know make one or two changes and suddenly uh, put the opposition goal under siege by just the sheer wealth of attacking talent they'd put out there and I think uh, there were indicators that, you know, we could do something similar in the future. And I think there are games we could use it from the start. Um, you know, I, I think against opposition we expect to be in time, we may get to that place where mm. we can play in that way. But yeah. I think it's a really useful weapon to have. And like you, I don't think we could do it 12 months ago. I mean, crucially, we didn't have Odegaard or Smith-Rowe at that time. And yeah, I think they're rounded enough players to do it I just think yeah there's a question of kind of security and caution and are we ready but it's a it's an interesting prospect yeah I think part of it as well is is making sure that you also have something that you can use from the bench to change things if you need to and yeah exactly you know uh, Martinelli and Lacazette didn't get on the pitch 
No. And when you consider that we brought on Smith Rowe and Partey, and then we had Pepe, Odegaard, Saka, Aubameyang, Smith Rowe, Partey all on the pitch with Martinelli and Lacazette on the bench as well, maybe there's just a bit more depth, you know, when it comes to yeah, our attacking like creative uh, side. So that's another little encouraging green shoot, I think. Very true. All right, final one because uh, we gotta we gotta wrap this up. Uh, comes from Chris AJ, who's at C A underscore underscore and maybe another underscore ten on Twitter. He says, "Why is Albert Steivenberg always wearing earphones during games? One, getting instructions from Arsene Wenger. Two, listening to classical music to stay calm despite what's happening on the pitch. Three, listening to the Arsecast Extra. Four, other." I haven't noticed this actually. What sort of headphones are they? I think he's got like earbuds in. Does he have earbuds or are they... Actually, I did see a shot of him during the game with Arteta because I was scrolling. Are they wired headphones or are they... Uh, I mean, it could be... It could be the case that they're communicating with another coach who's got a, Mm. a top down view of the game and may see things they can't. Um, That seems to me to be the most plausible thing uh unless he just listens to like really rousing music just to get himself super motivated he's just got like the gladiator soundtrack on yeah um to accompany the game yeah the most logical answer is is uh somebody up in the somebody up in the gods yeah what sort of earphones are we talking here that they their ear airpods or what have you but he's got a little microphone doohickey as well that he's talking into um I can't say I've got a screenshot of it here from the game. Um, but yeah, he's got a little computery thing in front of him. He's got the earbuds in. I assume, like you, it is a coach on high. Sort of like what Freddie Jumberg did when he was here yeah. um, in the first season with Mikel Arteta, where he was in the director's box or, or somewhere with a, a much um, broader view of what's happening on the pitch. And that kind of information then is coming back through Albert Steivenberg to Mikel Arteta. And, uh, yeah. Must be that. Bit prosaic, isn't it? I'd love to believe it's the arse cast, though. I don't think so. (laughs) (laughs) I don't think so. It wouldn't be, you know, over the past few weeks, I don't think it would be good listening material if you're trying to to manage a game of football. Probably not the best thing to be listening to, you know. All right. right, Well, look, we are going to leave it there for now. Um, Thank you for being here. Thanks for sticking with us until such time as we got a win this season. Uh, We hope you've enjoyed this uh, goodly morning. Hopefully there are many more goodly mornings to come. Um, Right. And I think that's it. You better look after your snoring dog, James. I'm going to lie down on the floor (laughs) and go to sleep with the dog. All right, leave your microphone on. I'll I'll record some of the snoring and we'll do that. All right, folks, thanks a million and we'll catch you on the next one. Bye-bye. Normally, being a little extra can be a bit much. But when it comes to healthcare, it pays to be extra. And United Healthcare makes it easy with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they supplement your primary plan, helping you manage out-of-pocket costs without the usual requirements and restrictions like deductibles and enrollment periods. So when it comes to covering your medical bills, you can feel good about being a little extra. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you.